Animal Magnetism, exploring animal care for creatures great and small, conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. I'm saluting. I'm saluting probably with the wrong hand. I don't uh, have a military family. I don't come from the military. So if I'm saluting, I'm saluting with the wrong hand, forgive me. But happy post-Veterans Day. Yay, our veterans. Thank you for keeping me safe, this country safe, and uh, allowing us the freedoms to do what we do. So we salute all veterans out there. Welcome once again to Animal Magnetism. I am your preservationist and conservationist host, Carolyn Hennessy, joined once again, as I always am, every other Sunday with the gorgeous Andrea Compton calling in all the way. Yep. All the way from close to Seattle. Not quite oh. Seattle. Close to Seattle. Yeah. Still forget the name of the town. What is it, Andrea? It's Duval. Duval. I'll still forget. I, I will, yes, I know. I know. Robert Duval. Exactly. And I saw him in an episode of The Outer Limits last night. Fascinating. It just oh. shows, shows you never see anymore. But, but there you go. I saw Duval. I'll still forget, of course. How are you, love? I am doing well. It is nice and chilly here, and uh, the storms are rolling in, so winter's Excellent. coming. Excellent. It's chilly up here. And once again, the third member of our family triumvirate, Dr. Gray Stafford, who has become, yeah, yeah. The alpha and the omega on all things preservationist and conservationist. And we have a wonderful guest today. Uh, should be joined by his wife, but she is unfortunately suffering with uh, the the consumption. The the she's she's on her she's the tuberculosis. No 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 no. She is she's got a cough. She has a very simple cough because you guys were traveling. Brian and Becky Masuga, who have who have written a a fabulous book, and we're going to talk about it. Brian, welcome. How's Becky? <laughs> Hang on. Say say that once again. You were you were being applauded, so we oh. we still don't know how is how is Becky. She has a little bit of a cough. Yeah, she has a little bit of a cough. We just got back from an African safari, and I think uh, all the dust, pollens, and new things that we were exposed to gave us both a little bit of a sore throat and cough. But uh, she's doing a little worse than me. But overall, she's a tough girl. Okay. She's well, well, we've we've. I know you're you you probably have a little bit of a little bit of something. You brought something back with you. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, I think, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm getting over. It. Good, 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 good. Well, we won't, we won't keep you that long. But I think it's important that you're on the show, and I appreciate you being on the show. What you landed yesterday? Yes, we got back uh, <laughs> yesterday. It was a long okay. kind of travel. I'm gonna back let you. i let you go back to sleep in just a moment, but not quite yet. <laughs> so the two of you have written. Well, you have you have founded an organization called Peppermint Narwhal, and I'm going to read your bio-slash-mission statement right now about Peppermint Narwhal. I love that. I mean, we're going to talk about what a narwhal is. Brian and Becky Masuga are the creative team behind Peppermint Narwhal, guided by their mission, conservation through creativity. I love it. They use their artistic talents to promote animal awareness and appreciation while motivating viewers to become better stewards of the planet. Peppermint Narwhal's creations blend design, illustration, educational messaging, humor, and whimsy to convey complex ideas in playful yet direct style. 
by keeping their messages positive, fun, and highly visual. They increase their ability to connect and share their mission with the public. Peppermint Narwhal strives to be a creative voice for all animal species, from the iconic to the obscure. Brian and Becky live in Wadsworth, Ohio, with their five dogs. Love that. They enjoy art, nature, visiting accredited zoos and aquariums, and traveling. Obviously, the last one being so very, very true. Their official website, peppermintnarwhaloneword.com. We're going to spell it for you. Twitter handle, Peppermint Narwhal. Facebook page, Peppermint Narwhal Creative. Love it. Absolutely love it. So, why a narwhal? And for our listeners who don't know that a narwhal is an Arctic whale... Uh, with a unicorn-like horn. Uh, talk about why. Sure. Um, well, first off, it, it's something that's always been a passion for us. We love animals, and whales especially are probably one of our favorites. And the narwhal is just really the most, when you think about it, unique whale. Absolutely. I mean, many people think it's even not real. You know, it's so fantastic that it almost seems like it can't be it has to be something imagined. And I think that's really the cool thing of nature is that it oftentimes being a creative person, you're inspired by nature and you try to make interesting and unique things, but nature always humbles us creative people. Uh, it always makes things that are more interesting, more elegant, even more fascinating than and we can really think up. Uh, so the narwhal was kind of chosen for that. We also liked making, you know, the, the tusk kind of has a twisty sort yeah. of look to it. So we kind of went with peppermint narwhal, almost like a Moby Dick kind of angle where like in the world's most unique animal, there was also this still even more unique version sure. of that. Sure, sure. It's the it's the unicorn of the ocean uh, yeah. in indeed. And peppermint, the time for the narwhal, the Christmas time, the Christmas season is coming up. It's going to be very, very popular. A little bit about the narwhal, ladies and gentlemen, there are about 75,000 left on the planet. Um, naturally, they die off due to suffocation because they feed on cod and things like that in the uh, sort of beyond the Arctic Circle, and very often where they are, the ice will freeze over and they and they die of suffocation. They're also dying of starvation because their prey fish are dying off. But they have this very interesting in the males. It's it's this left the the tusk, this tusk, and they are about I would say five to seven times larger than a human. The the males can get to be. It's this it's a tooth. It's this canine tooth, this left canine tooth that sort of grows out. Who knows why? Who cares? And and spirals like like a like a unicorn's tusk. So they have chosen peppermint peppermint narwhal. It's just it's a wonderful, wonderful name for this organization. Now you two have written a book, Zoo Flakes. And at first glance, one would think this is it's it's just for kids. It's just for kids. We'll just show some of these. These they have taken animals. Let's see. Well, Tony's Tony can do it to, can do it better than I am. Tony, show some of them while I speak. It's they've taken animal parts, animal faces, whole animals, and created these fabulous sort of mandala kaleidoscope creations. Each one sort of more fabulous than the next. I think my favorite is the condor because the condor, and if I can find it, the condor also looks kind of like an octopus. I mean, you just, you really have to look at the details. So at, at first glance, these are for kids and they're beautiful and wonderful and incredible colors, very diverse. But on a much deeper level, they are for us adults 
because there are so many things we can find and learn and discover in each of these, each one more gorgeous than the next, the pelican eel. I mean, just look at this. Stop this. I can listen, you know what? And I can show it, I can show it up like this. This, 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 it's all the same. It's just gorgeous. So what inspired yes, indeed. And first of all, let's tell everybody where they can get it. Where can you order this? Sure. The book is available um, in a number of popular bookstores, Amazon.com. Uh, it's available on Target.com. Uh, we also have a great publisher, 1984 Publishing, uh, and they have kind of a deluxe edition that they sell, which also includes uh, some stickers as well. If you follow us on social media, uh, we make that link pretty available, especially right now since you know it's not the holiday season is already kind of beginning, whether you like it or not. It began in July. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we provide the link to our, our, our viewers and posts that we make uh, to make it easy to find and available. Wood frog. Yeah, they're wood a local frog. friend. Uh, the wood frog. That's fabulous. Yeah, very Each cool. one. And, and, and here's the thing, kids. You don't need to be on acid. You don't need to be on acid to appreciate these. Not even remotely. This is its own preservationist acid trip. It's just wonderful. The Humboldt squid. Yeah, and so it's... Again, as I say, each one sort of leads you into the next one, which becomes more and more creative. I oh, I did not, I did not see this one. <laughs> say this word: the Mexican burrowing Sicilian, right? Yeah. Yes, it's an amphibian that most people aren't even aware. I'm of. I'm not aware of it, and it looks like something my father used to, to used to hand to me when we were fishing in yeah. on Lake Windigo in Wisconsin, which I refused to take and forced him to bait my hook for me. We usually threw it back, by the way, just saying. I was 14. Who knew? Uh, it, uh, it's wonderful. And each one, as I say, leads you to want to turn the page and look at the next one. Um, tell me what inspired you to create this, as opposed to everything that Peppermint Narwhal as an organization could have done. Why zoo flakes? And, they well, are, and they are, they're sort of like snowflakes. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I think you're a good example of, of kind of, uh, you know, where we fit into things. I think I'm a big believer in follow your passions and kind of look at your skill sets and sort of determine, well, how can I plug in? Um, I'm not a researcher. I don't work at a facility. Uh, those weren't opportunities for us, but we're creative people and we've loved animals and cared about them since childhood. So we really tried to bring these two things together and celebrate our passion for animals with the skill sets that we had, which was you know, drawing, illustration, design. Uh, and that's really where we started to, I remember hanging out with Gray a lot at different events and kind of chatting about, you know, we need a better voice for animals or if only this message could get out or if only we could say this better or if people even knew this animal existed. So I would hear Gray talk about those kind of challenges and hear other people in the field who work with animals kind of talk about this. And I felt motivated to say, well, what can I do? Um, what could we do? And, and Becky and I sort of looked at well, we have backgrounds in creativity. We love animals. Maybe we could just start using social media to, you know, get people to be more aware, to kind of be better stewards. We really believe that if you care about something, you'll protect it. Uh, and the only way you can care about something is if you know about it. And there's many animals that are off the grid for most people. There's species that even when you pick up this book, like you said, it's certainly we appreciate it aiming at kids, but it's also anyone really of any age can pick it up and start to plug in. And I bet even a big animal lover would pick it up and be like, I didn't even know this animal existed. Um, oh, because I'm there certain. are many animals off that radar. 
I'm certain. Uh, <laughs> the false Gariel. First of all, never even heard of it. Looks like a crocodile or an alligator. Not quite. Well, you know what? And believe me, by this time, we all know I should be able to know the difference. But I don't, and I can't tell from this. False Gariel. I didn't know it existed, but now I do. Now I do. Um, have, have you thought about... First of all, I love the idea of following your passion and, and becoming involved in whatever way you can. That's what this show is about, whatever way you can. Most people cannot. They have jobs, lives, families, but they've got a quarter. They've got a dollar. And can you send it to anything except PETA or USDS or HSUS? USDS? I have no idea. HSUS. HSUS. Thank you, Gray. I don't know why. Who knows? Uh, no PETA, no HSUS, period. But you, if you have a dollar, if you've got a quarter, if you've got $5, send to American Humane. Send to whatever organization you can. And that's, you know, the people who are passionate about animals who cannot kind of get on the front lines. They can do something. They can do one thing because every penny, every quarter, every $5 helps. Have you thought about approaching large corporations? Because I know... That things like this could be, you know, the logos, the standard for large corporations. Uh, has have you been approached? Have you been approaching people because this work deserves to be seen on a much larger scale? Well, we we have uh, worked with organizations and facilities. In fact, kind of uh, our history really lies in that we were designers and running a design agency that work with facilities that work with animals. And we've been doing that for many years. And really the social media kind of grew out of wanting to go further, wanting to do more. Um, it was great meeting and working with people who work with animals and learning so much more about animals from them and sharing that passion. Uh, but it was an opportunity to then kind of add to that voice. And through the social media, we've been really able to do that and make some really nice connections. The nice thing about social media is you, know, you post something and somebody responds to it and shares it, that opens That's up great. a whole new dialogue yeah. and audience. Right. And it's been really cool for us. We've, in fact, as much as we love animals and like learning about animals, I learn as much from our page, from our fans, just suggesting new animals to spotlight. Uh, and I'm constantly humbled by, wow, I don't even know what this animal is. I got to look it up. Right. Uh, so that's, uh, that's an exciting thing. No, I'm, sh I'm certain there's going to be a, a zoo flakes too, or, or yeah, new flakes. For sure. It, uh, we hope so. Um, it's a series that we do every winter. Um, we like to use this series as an opportunity to spotlight animals that kind of uh, from, you know, the familiar to the unfamiliar, but also really draw attention to conservation statuses for each of these species. Many of the animals that we highlight in the series are threatened, endangered, or critically endangered. And we kind of use that snowflake metaphor as a sort of parallel to the fact that species conservation is a delicate thing. And if certain factors and conditions don't exist, it can be a fleeting thing. Um, but we try to focus on that positive side. Our page is always upbeat and, and optimistic. And it shows us that humans are capable of amazing things. And we have great potential. Sure, we fail. Sure, there are some among us who we just wish, how did they even get here? Why are they doing what they're doing? But when you really look at us as a species, we're capable of great things. And being the stewards of this planet, we just need to harness that potential 
and you know, do our part to give these animals a chance so that future generations can appreciate and enjoy them the way we are today. So, and by the way, this is the this is the Andean condor that I think is probably probably my favorite because at first glance, Tony, don't you sort of see like octopus tails? But it's not. It's not. It's the it's the feathers. It's the plumage. Just wonderful. And good on you for. Oh, for keeping that positive attitude, which I try to keep, Andrea tries to keep, Gray, I know you do, and it is oftentimes so, so, so difficult. Um, and yes, the whole snowflake metaphor is wonderful because as they're falling, they hit the ground and they melt, and that's it for that snowflake. That's it for this particular snowflake. It, they're gone. So I'm hoping that you will have a whole... Zooflake book devoted to the vaquita. And we shall get on to that in just a moment. Nice segue, Carolyn. Um, but let's talk about Africa. Let's talk about what you saw in Africa. Did you take photos and will you be turning them into zooflakes? Where yeah, did you yeah. go? For sure, we took some photos. There were there were a number of people among us that were, you know, definitely uh, camera buffs. And uh, we took photos, video. And the thing that really impressed me was I did think about zooflakes a lot on this trip um, and other you know series that we post. And I was like, oh, we haven't spotlighted that animal. I'd see a new animal. I'm like, oh, I need to do that animal. I need to draw more attention to, you know, Kirk's Dick Dick and all these other animals. What's a Kirk's Dick Dick? You know, it's a very small antelope species. Um, they're almost Be quiet, like Gray. Gray, stop. I can hear you. I can I, hear you I, laughing. I have to just say one thing. Um, I once took a Gunther's Dick Dick to the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. As one will. Yes. As one as one should. So yes. there you go. So there's a Kirks and a Gunthers. Are there any yeah. more Dick Dicks out there that we should know about? <laughs> there, there are a number of species. Um, they're very beautiful. Look at how cute that animal is. It's, uh, it's like a if you took an antelope and just scaled it down to the size of a lap dog. Um, they're adorable. They're fascinating. And uh, you know, just one of many animals that fit into this complex e ecosystem uh, that we were enjoying in the African savanna. Folks, just because they are scaled down to the size of a lap dog, let's let no one get any ideas that these are house pets. They're not. No, they're not. Okay, no. let's just because I know my listeners and viewers are spectacular, but on the on on the off chance that someone is 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 looking at this, going, oh, I can import this and train it to sit on and my they're lap. Cool. They're really cool because they have a prehensile upper lip and nostril, so they almost have like a little trunk to them, and they're. <laughs> They're very cool. <laughs> so, so, so we're gonna see we're gonna see a Kirk's Dick Dick as a, as a, as a zooflake. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I, I you where did you Where did you go? Where did you go in Africa? Uh, we went to Uganda and then we went to Kenya. Kenya. Um, and we had a number of stops. We did the trek uh, to see the mountain gorillas in Uganda, which was just amazing. And um, then did a number of safaris throughout uh, Africa, and it was. It was a humbling and uh, very enlightening and very profound experience. Really, you come back struggling to share it with somebody because it's one of those things that you you just you have to be there in a way to just really take it all in. It's it's very very big. Well, fortunately, we have you and Becky to yes. draw it for us to we'll, to share we'll it for us in a in a in a wonderful and beautiful way. What would you say two questions? What is the most endangered species that you have that you have uh, immortalized with zooflakes and what was your favorite to draw? 
That's a good question. Um, I, we have a Vikita one that we've recently been, uh, we made some t-shirts of and it'll be part of our series four um, because of the Vikitas. Oh, there you go. It happens to be a nice t-shirt Gray is wearing. So um, the Vikita for sure, there's less than 30, uh, very tough situation for that uh, cetacean. Um, as far as a favorite to draw, you know, it, it's, it's tough. I've, I've really enjoyed drawing, you know, many of them. Um, I kind of like to think that my favorite, much like my favorite animal, is always the last one I've seen. Sure. Um, sure. So when I draw one, it's always the new thing I'm doing. Uh, hardest, hardest to draw? Hardest to draw. Um, you know, I would say gorillas and, and apes tend to be sometimes somewhat challenging because um, they're so similar to us in that, you know, I think it's easier to be more critical of them because, you know, they, they share traits like us. I mean, our hands, our our faces, there's a lot of similarities in there. Uh, so really trying to capture that uh, um, sort of in an, in an ape, especially like a gorilla or an orangutan, uh, it, it can be a little more challenging. I no, think. It, it, Tony is saying, look at the cover. Tony, you have been with us long enough now to know that this is a chimpanzee or something similar to a chimpanzee. I'm looking for the gorilla. The gorilla. Yes. Yes. <laughs> For our listeners, gr let's talk about the difference between a chimpanzee and a gorilla. Grego. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, well, gorillas are much larger species, uh, strict herbivores, um, probably a little more reclusive than chimps, I would say, um, and, and, uh, but both in big trouble. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the surprising thing is that other than humans, when you really look at apes, almost all of them are endangered to critically endangered, which is pretty alarming when you think about it. I mean, one ape species is thriving and that's us and all the others, you know, really in a lot of trouble. I keep thinking, and this is me sort of going off and being ponderous now. I keep thinking that A, I should say hoping, that A, the animals will collectively communicate, rise up and just eat us all in our sleep. That is what I am hoping. And that they will have then, you know, the Empire State Building to sort of roam around in by themselves. That's what I'm hoping. Or B, the earth will simply just shake us off like fleas. Because we are, I think, I think, and it's, I, I don't think it's too far-fetched or too crazy to say that we are just now becoming an infestation. We are, we are using these animals for our benefit, for our profit. Um, last week we had on a wonderful man named Kartik, whose last name I cannot pronounce. Uh, but listeners, go go to that show. It caused a great deal of controversy. Fascinating because what because what this man is doing is he is taking he's he's sort of eliminated the dancing bear industry in India, and he is now taking elephants out of abusive situations. And there was there was a tremendous um, backlash on my show from people and then I from people in India who were saying these terrible things. And then I realized, oh, he took their elephant away. <laughs> yes, and I'm. I'm just thinking that we we have so we've got it all wrong. We have taken it. We've got except except for this the isolated incidences, the isolated heroes. Gray, you, uh, uh, everyone I've basically spoken to, uh, who's got it right that we need to steward these animals. That now we are we we are losing them at such incredible rates, and it's because of us. So let us all of us. First of all, I want to let's see. Hang on, hang on. We're going to give the we're going to give the official website again for Peppermint Narwhal. P 
Peppermint Narwhal, N-A-R-W-H-A-L. Sometimes there's an E added to the end of it to emphasize the fact that it's a whale. Don't. Peppermint Narwhal, one word, dot com. On Twitter, Pep Omen. Oh, is that is that is that correct? Pep, P-E-P-O? Yeah, there's a character limit, so we kind of Ah, it. okay. So, Twitter handle. Get this straight, kids. We will have this up on the Animal Magnetism website. P-E-P-O-M-I-N-T, narwhal, N-A-R-W-H-A-L dot com. Not pepper, but pepo. On Twitter, Facebook page, Peppermint Narwhal Creative. All one word. Go there, say hello, introduce yourselves, tell them how much you love their work, buy their work, support them. Support them. A profit, a, a portion of the proceeds goes. Yes, go to Polar Bears International. One dollar from the purchase of every book uh, goes to our friends at Polar Bears International. Um, the narwhal is an Arctic species, so we are big fans of Arctic conservation, climate change awareness, and the good work that Polar Bears International does, not only to protect the polar bear, but the entire ecosystem and to promote climate change awareness and mitigation is tremendous. And we are happy to uh, you know, donate a dollar from the proceeds to that Excellent. wonderful organization. Excellent. Listeners, even if you are not, uh, I don't know, let's say ascribers to the idea of climate change, first of all, one thing, uh, it's coming. It's as simple as that. If you believe that it is naturally cyclic, uh, well, we are headed into the sixth mass extinction. And that means everyone's going to get very cold very fast. But in addition to that, mankind isn't helping. Let's just, let's just say that. We are not helping, and we need to be. We need to do everything we can because we are hastening that mass extinction. We need to do everything we can to, to sort of push it back as far as we can so that we can save the works of... Da Vinci and Michelangelo and Brahms and Strauss and the peppermint narwhal or the narwhal. Speaking of species that are endangered, Brian, please, please stay on for this conversation. Um, Gray, you sent me something that is just so disheartening. It's a wonderful article and it's called Goodbye to the Friend I Never Met. I may start to cry. I haven't cried in ages, Tony. I haven't. But this is the show where I, fir- where I announce it firmly. I, I will simply cry. And it's I can. been at least two weeks. It's been at least two weeks. Thank you. And I can because I'm the host. You see, I can do that because it's my show. Goodbye to the Friend I Never Met by Eric Vance, November 8th, 2017. And in addition to every... It's a, it's a wonderful article. Look it up. It's the, uh, the, uh, the site is called The Last Word on Nothing. Science says the first word on everything and the last word on nothing. That's a quote attributed to Victor Hugo, and it's actually true. So, the vaquita. <clears throat> the hope for the vaquita was, since there are 30 of them, probably less now. They get caught in these gill nets in this very, very small little corner in the Gulf of Mexico. They are fished. They're being fished to extinction. They are not themselves fished but they get caught in these drop nets, these gill nets that just, they swim into them, they cannot swim out of them. And you, they, the fishermen will lift up these nets. In addition to the fish that they do want to catch, there are vaquita hanging there, dead. They've drowned. It's, a, it's one of the smallest <clears throat> species of dolphin. It looks like a little panda. It's adorable. 
and it's very shy, and it's very hard to track. We had on a woman, I'm sorry, I, her name just went right out of my head, Gray? It was Barbara Taylor, Dr. Barbara Dr. Taylor Barbara with Taylor. Uh, National Oceanic uh, Administration. Exactly. She, and she was, she was on several weeks ago, actually months ago now, and she was, uh, she's a warrior, and she's going to stay till the bitter end. She's going to track these animals and try to help these animals until the bitter end, which I think is probably coming sooner than we would all like. Gray, tell us what the status is. Well, um, <clears throat> when we learned from uh, Barbara Taylor several months ago, uh, there was an international effort to go out and collect the remaining vaquita, as many of them as possible, and put them in sea pens, essentially, and, and create, if possible, a breeding situation for them, and mainly to safeguard them until such time as we humans could sort out the social and economic pressure that is driving their extinction. Fishing for the Totoaba um, and substituting that, that lucrative economy with something more sustainable um, that would benefit not only the Totoaba, but the Bikita. Well, the, the zoo community about a year ago all rallied together and we raised some money. Imata, the organization that I represent and Brian has helped uh, many, many years now, um, we raised a little bit of money, AZA, ZAA, all these institutions raised money, individual zoos, um, organizations, uh, all banded together to, to create an environment down there, a, a workshop, if you will, to put this project in place. And it was remarkable, not only the funding, how fast it happened, but how quickly they were able to put this project together and get two governments to agree on, on cooperating in this effort. On anything. On anything. Um, <clears throat> the U.S. Navy was involved. Their trained dolphins <clears throat> were utilized to go out and try to local, localize where the vaquita were, were, were uh, found. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it was really a, a huge effort with, with international expertise from all over the world helping to save this little panda-like faced um, porpoise. Uh, a few weeks ago, they, they set out to sea. The problem with, with locating the vaquita is if you get high winds, they can't find them. The, the, the weather's too unpredictable that way, and they have trouble spotting the animals, plus there's, there are safety issues for the, for the crews. And so they only had so many days where they had nice, still, calm waters to identify and find vaquita. The first animal they found was, turned out to be about a six-month-old calf. Uh, it was a female. It was the first time ever that a, that a vaquita had been collected by human beings alive. And, and uh, because it showed some sign of stress, because it was perhaps still being nursed by its mother, um, the decision was to let it go and, and to you know, track it as best they could. Uh, then they were socked in with bad weather. And then a few days later, they went out and collected another animal, this time an adult, um, and seemed to be going fine. Um, they had her in, in, a, in a sea pen situation, a, a collection area, and monitor her. And after a short time, her vitals declined. They decided to put her back out in the, in the ocean. And um, she, she suffered some sort of event. They went and intervened. And unfortunately, she, she passed away. She expired. <clears throat> and there are, there's a review panel that's going on right now to, to take a look at what happened uh, to that animal specifically what can we learn, um, but the decision has since been made to suspend all collections uh, through the Vaquita CPR project. Um, they're kind of regrouping now because obviously this is tragic news for everybody. Um, 
but the protocol that was put in place was to always move forward to the next level of the project based upon animal welfare and how the animals were, were tolerating this very bold, very courageous, but also very risky. Everyone admitted this was a risky uh, proposition, which tells you how dire their situation is in the wild to go out and collect wild animals like this as, as a, what I would call a Hail Mary, a conservation Hail Mary. Um, so this is a very sad outcome, um, given how much work everyone's done. People like Brian and his company have supported this effort through their t-shirts, through their awareness and fundraising. Um, it's devastating. And um, I think one reason it's so devastating for all of us is we know what this means for the Vikita. You, you talk about the fact that the animals suffer once it was released, once the vitals dropped and you decided to release this, this adult female back into the, you talk about a, uh, an, an event. Can you talk, do we know what the event was? Can you talk about the event? Well, I, I, I want to make it very clear. I don't officially represent the Vikita CPR project. Got it. Got it. Um, I've lent support, but I'm not an official with that project. Understood. I'm only basing my comments on public statements and press releases that they've shared oh, with okay. media and others. Okay. Um, there's a phenomena in, in nature, and it can happen with humans and domestic animals too, but there's something called capture myopathy. And it happens with, and it can happen for any animal basically, but um, sometimes when an animal is, is exerting itself to survive or to, to flee a situation, a fight or flight type of situation, um, it can mobilize all sorts of energy from the muscles and, and energy stores within the body because there's an immediate need for that. The problem is, is that that can cause serious harm to the internal organs over the long term. And so that's this phenomenon called capture myopathy. You'll see it a lot of times with hoofstock animals. Again, they tend to be animals that um, are more on the prey side, more flighty, more elusive, more of shy. Of course. Sound like species we know. Um, and so my guess is that this was the, the implications of a capture myopathy situation. And, but again, I'm not part of that understood. panel review. I haven't seen the, the, Absolutely the understood. No, reports. No. This is but your it best seems guess. to fit with what we know about right. the Vikita's nature, having known very little about it up until now. It's such a shame. It's such an incredible catch-22, no pun intended, situation that in order to save them, we've got to now learn about them. We have to learn more about them. And in taking them in and, and studying them, we then perhaps cause a reaction that that causes their demise. It's, and it's, and, but there, but there is no other way. There is no well, other way. Because we've done some other species, um, you know, you mentioned the California condor earlier. We collected all those, we, the zoo community, the, you know, state course. government, federal government, collected the remaining animals 30, 40 years ago. And now we have a, a population in the wild of 400. They're thriving. They're thriving. So, thanks. Thanks to the Los Angeles Zoo. Thanks to the Greater Los Angeles Zoo Association. Yeah. Those incredible people at, at, at the Los Angeles Zoo. It's so it's fascinating because if the vaquita were not a shy animal, yeah. if they sort of dove in, you know, in groups and they sort mm -hmm. of, you know, broke the surface in groups, the tourism industry would save them. It would save them because they, the fishermen could stop fishing and simply start getting taking charter boats out to see these incredible animals. It would save them, but they're not. They're not a a, a display animal, a a a display themselves sort of thing. 
It's, in fact, Carolyn, most we didn't even know about the vaquita till I think fifty or sixty years ago. It's it's a fairly recent discovery that you know it was so elusive that it was more mythical, almost like that peppermint narwhal, that mythical creature. Uh, and and to Brian's point earlier, you know, if we're not aware of these species, they're going to go quietly extinct. There are there are probably examples today of species. They may not be as big as a dolphin or a narwhal that are going extinct and we may never know that they ever existed. Um, and so that awareness is important, but there, to me, um, you know, the, 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 the response from the zoo community, from the public, and certainly from the detractors this week has been fascinating. And a lot of my colleagues are, are very despondent as I think we all are because of what the implications are for the future of the Vikita. To me, it's a good story still. Yeah. And here's why, because we were able to mobilize in a short order. I mean, you know, you can't get anything done this in this day and age in under several years. Very and we true. were able to mobilize quickly. Very true. And knowing the odds of success were against us. And and yeah, we, we may not have the outcome that we, we all hoped for, but we tried. And this isn't the last time we're going to need to intervene like this. I, you know, a lot of people talk about killer whales. There's a population called the Southern Resident Killer Whales off British Columbia. Those animals are down to something like 80 animals left, and they are starving to death. And they're chronically being polluted. Their own tissues are toxic because they, those, those toxins are, are lipophilic, which means they, uh, um, they reside in the tissues. And so when the calves are born and the moms start lactating, boom, they get walloped with toxins. Uh, it happens with sea lions and so forth. But the southern resident killer whales are next the next decade's vaquita. And we never hear about that. We only hear about people up in arms, about 12 animals in pristine, spoiled, rotten condition down in San Diego who, well, can't, I mean, who can never be released back out into the wild. People are so, so head up about that, and they need to simply turn their attention to 80 animals left. I actually, honestly, I thought, I thought there were more than that. I didn't know that there were roughly 80 animals left. They've had, that is, they've had significant it's losses it's in the despicable. last decade. It's um, despicable. Not reproducing well. It's despicable. Um, um, and, but it is, it's, it's a wonderful example of how we can come together. And folks, the vaquita are not gone yet. Not they yet. are not gone yet. And I'm sure that science is regrouping, rethinking on uh, science and, and, and all the ancillary organizations are regrouping and rethinking how to save this, how to best save this animal. I just want to read this. This, this is sort of the, la the last few paragraphs of Eric Vance. Goodbye to the friend I never met. He said, Saturday was the day I finally gave up. The last hope for the vaquita marina, the world's smallest and most endangered cetacean, is gone. On Saturday, biologists working in the upper Gulf of California, announced that the latest animal they had captured in an effort to save the species had perished. For the first half of 2017, I was knee-deep in a story I'd been following since I got to Mexico six years ago. In summary, an animal that had found itself on the wrong side of rampant, po of rampant poaching practices is all but wiped out, and the last option is a Hail Mary plan to round them up into captive pens and hold them until such time as humans stop sucking at ocean stewardship. For a, few, for a full review of the Vaquita's tragic tale, I, re I really encourage you to read the story. But there is always a problem with this strategy. No one had ever tried to catch one before. It was possible they wouldn't go quietly into the pens. All it ever wanted 
was to be left the hell alone, to forage on the bottom of its murky sea. It hid from biologists for decades so well that some locals still don't believe it exists, and maybe that was its downfall. It couldn't avoid our nets like its more social dolphin cousins, and when we finally tried to bring them into the for into forest sanctuary, when they finally had to look us in the face, it killed them. But what burns me most is what is that we did this. All of us. China, with your ridiculous need for worthless animal parts for ineffective medicine, you did this. United States, with your thirst for fresh water and your crappy attitude towards your southern neighbor, you did this. And Mexico, with your paralyzing... Ah. Oi, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, because it was pretty profound. It, was, it had to do it with dealing bad. with crime. And, and Mexico, and, with your paralyzing complex po politics and power dynamics at work, that can either aid or destroy all her efforts. I now understand why the vaquita is going extinct. They sent too many people like me into the region. There are too many people in that region doing things that they simply should not do. I understand that people have to fish for a living. I get it. I get it. Use something different than a gillnet. Well, and the, the aggravating thing for me, Carolyn, is, <clears throat> as you know, um, there were people critical of this project from the beginning. Um, and basically saying that only law enforcement would work and only pulling out those ghost nets that kill the vaquita long after, and other species long after the fishermen have abandoned those nets. It's a real significant problem throughout our world oceans. But we knew from the beginning, this was gonna require a comprehensive solution. Law enforcement, cleaning up the environment, stopping the poaching and protecting the gene pool that was left until such time as it could recover, if it could recover. And what really fries my eggs this week is all the second guessers, all the armchair quarterbacks, all the people in the cheap seats, because that's an easy place to be, right? You know, my, my question to, to Sea Shepherds and to Naomi Rose and others is, how's the view from the sidelines? Exactly. Now, exactly. I get it. The Sea Shepherds have done a, a, a good job of collecting nets from, from that part of the mm -hmm. Gulf of mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. And they've done it for the last few years. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they've been pulling nets out of the water. Good, good on them. Uh, the vaquita population has plunged. So clearly that solution alone was never going to Correct. work. You wouldn't know that from that charlatan who runs the Sea Shepherds, who is name frankly part of the problem. Name. You know uh, what? If, I, you, I if you don't like want to name it, that's fine. Well. Everyone just go look up Sea Shepherd who's running it. Who is to running me, it? It's a lot more courageous to bank your Absolutely. professional reputation and your livelihood and your personal uh, safety to go out and try to save a species than it is to criticize about anyone else who's trying to do I it. applaud the efforts of the entire consortium who has gone out and has to, uh, tried to capture, put in, the, put in these sea pens because apparently that is now the only, I applaud that, that that's the only way that this is going to work. The bottom line is we should never have had to form this consortium in the first place, we should be leaving them alone. We should not be doing. We should not be fishing with drop nets. Um, people should not. People like Naomi Rose, who's a charlatan, of course, should if let her put her hands where her incredibly inaccurate mouth is. Let her put her money where her inaccurate mouth is. Let them all come and join together. But the bottom line is, we shouldn't even be there. We shouldn't even be there in the first place. We shouldn't need. We, we shouldn't need to save 80 
members of the southern resident population of killer whales. We shouldn't well, need we to, shouldn't, it's, we it's, shouldn't it's, pile on when people are making good good faith exactly. effort to save a species. Exactly. We can disagree about it, but to jump on the bandwagon and to just pile on this week as they have um, to me is unproductive because well, the, the, this is never about the vaquita. This is about the next species of river dolphin. Exactly. Exactly. Because because it, because once every once we lose 150 a day and once they're gone yeah. kids yeah. We're gone. It's going to become soylent green, and you never know who's going to be next. It's as simple as that. But he, but this article was right. It's the United States with its with its bureaucracy. It's China with its need for for Neanderthal potions for 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 you know larger erections and cures for that that do not work. It's it's they simply don't work. You know it's it's it's. It's it's all of us, to be perfectly honest with you. It's, it's just it's, it's about the dollar. It's about money, and um, it it's to me this was a stark reminder. The message of the Vikita and this project was: we cannot wait until there are twenty individuals left of a species that is not one that lives in the trees or the cliff sides like a like a condor, but that requires space and food and privacy, uh, like a Vikita species, and so. We, we sure as hell had better get our act together long before there are just a couple dozen founders left because we're going to be sad at the outcome because the odds. We're going to be dead at the outcome. We're going to be dead. It's as simple as that. We lose everything. We start, we start losing ourselves. Our species will go extinct again. Uh, Ryan, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, mantra that you have and, and it's the mantra of this show. You, you don't care about what you don't know about. You have to know to care. And that's what this show is all about. It's sort of bringing to light everything that's out there, either whimsical, uh, you know, cr critical. It's, it's, it's trying to educate people about what they don't know about so that they begin to care about it, which is, of course, why we love modern zoos, modern, modern aquariums, because that, those give people the chance to understand. Um, We've only got, we only have a, 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 sh a short time left. And again, Gray, I'll, I will say this. We all know that the radical activists take one small setback and just blow it up out of proportion. See, 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 no, that is not, that is not the truth of the situation. The truth of the situation is that a consortium came together and is trying to save this particular right. species. And what's next? Exactly. There are so many that are going extinct. Where do we focus our efforts? That's a, that's it actually, that's, that's the best question to end with. Where do we focus our efforts? Well, I think we need to learn our lessons from this situation and, 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 and push back on the notion that this was a failure, that there was nothing that was could it? be learned from the situation. Um, I, I see reasons to hope because so many disparate groups did come together, including researchers that are not necessarily fans of, of animals in human care that realized that this was necessary intervention if we were going to even have a chance at saving the Vegeta. Um, the other thing is, I think, the approach that Brian and Becky take through Peppermint Arwell. You know, one thing that we didn't talk about is their work is in countless zoos and aquariums and oceanariums throughout Let's the United States. Let's talk about that. Alone. It's, it's, it's amazing work. It's lighthearted, but it's informative. Um, and, you know, it's through that creative talent that I don't possess that Becky and Brian and people like them are going to help motivate people to do something about their environment. Excellent. So that's off to Brian and Becky. With off, with Brian, Brian uh, again, please give, give Becky our, our serious wishes for a speedy recovery. What is next for you besides Zoo Flakes 2 or New Zoo or More <clears throat> Flakes? 
Well, it's just continuing to do what we do. Uh, I think the Vikita, like you said, is a good example and a humbling one to show us that, you know, our work isn't done. And unfortunately, like you said, this is a six mass extinction. And unfortunately, the force behind it is us. But the potential is for us to start realizing that and to change behaviors, to spread more education and to take ownership of that. And like, we, like you said, we are the most invasive species on the planet. We exist and thrive now in every ecosystem on earth, on every continent. And the wild is not the wild anymore. It's really a section of reserves. I mean, just being in Africa, you know, you'd be out in a reserve and see this vastness, but then you would realize on a map that it's just a small little stamp of Kenya. And for the animals to exist, they have to move through these dangerous corridors uh, to get between these safe havens of these parks. So that's a lot of work for us to do. It can be humbling at times, uh, but we like to use our talents and ability to just spread more awareness, inspire, focus on the fact that, you know, we are capable of great things. Sometimes we wait till our backs are against the wall, uh, but then we rise to those occasions. And I, I, I like to stay optimistic on that. Maybe the vaquita is a situation that will, will humble us and remind us much like many other animals that have gone extinct that we missed our opportunity, we waited too long, uh, but there's a long list of animals that are just critically endangered alone, yet alone working our way up to endangered and threatened. So with any, uh, with any luck, do. yeah, with any luck, the Paquita, you know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is a Hail Mary. Maybe, maybe there's another Hail Mary around the corner for, for the, for the Paquita. Is any of your work at the Los Angeles Zoo? Cause I'm going to try and make sure it gets there if it's not. Uh, you know, actually, we, we designed a map for the uh, uh, Oakland Zoo, um, not at the Los Angeles Zoo. All right. Well, well, definitely been in the area. Uh, we'll, <laughs> I have connections. We'll see, because I would love to see your work. We when welcome I, the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see your work at the Los Angeles Zoo. I think it's necessary. I think it's wonderful. Um, okay. Brian, thank you so much for being with us today. Zoo Flakes on thank Amazon. You. Brian and Becky Masuda. Get it. A dollar goes to... Help the polar bears in the Arctic. Uh, Peppermint Narwhal, look them up. Uh, jo like their pages, join them, contribute to the conversation. That's actually all we're asking. Just please contribute to the conversation in any way you can. Andrea, we love you. Love you. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, enjoy the storms. It's cold Thank here. You. It's cold. It's it's cold here, as cold as it gets in Los Angeles. Gray, once again, always, you know, the Alpha and the Omega. Thank you so much for your insights today and, um, you. and you know, helping us to sort of bear the bad news as best we possibly can. Uh, hopefully you will be with us again in two weeks when we have another episode of Animal Magnetism. Until then, listeners, always remember, please. Oh, Tony Sweet, the handsomest man in radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, until two weeks from now, please remember, in everything you do, attempt to cultivate the preservationist heart. It will take you a long, long, long way. I will see you in two weeks. I'm Carolyn Hennessy. You've been listening to Animal Magnetism. Thanks. Bye-bye.